continuing on in the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. We got some scripture we'll put up on the screen for you this morning. I just want to pray for our time in the Word, and, uh, and uh, we'll move forward. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for your truth that is the only truth, that uh, you have the words that contain eternal life, that that you want us to know those words, that you want us to know your word of truth, you want us to know the person of truth in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would show us the person of Christ this morning, not just knowledge, not just information, not just ideology, but that you would help us to know your son Jesus more as a result of our time together. Use me to speak your words that you want to be communicated to us, your body here at 6-8 Church this morning and that uh, we may be faithful to live them out as your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got a bowl of rocks up here, mainly because it's fun to play with things during the sermon, right? Some people doodle. I like to do things that make a lot of noise. Reminds me of uh, my grandpa, who, uh, who always had in his shirt pocket a little baggie of candy for church on Sunday mornings. And uh, so when the pastor would get up to preach, you know, he would kind of reach in his pocket and he would just sit and twiddle that piece of plastic. He was a logger his whole life, so he'd been using a chainsaw, so he couldn't hear anything anymore. And he couldn't hear the noise that he was making for four or five minutes while he fiddled with that piece of candy. And he wouldn't just get the piece of candy out and put it in his mouth. He would then play with the wrapper and fold it up and twist it. And so everyone in the church would just, you know, gotten used to the fact that Grandpa was going to distract you for the first five minutes of the sermon. But um, it's a bowl of rocks. And they're just, they're typically just a decoration in the office. It's something that uh, little kids would play with when they come in in there and it's fun to dump them out and make a mess. But um, they all, they're, you know, they're, there's lots of similarities in the rocks. We've got a lot that are kind of white and then there's a few of these others here. I don't know how well you can see this, but there's some dark gray ones and there's some that are kind of tan and, and just some, some variations on the rocks. But they pretty much all look the same. But then down in here somewhere, there's this one bright green 6-8 rock that somebody painted. And I just kind of put it in there. You know, lots of, lots of rocks that can kind of represent things. And, and for us this morning, that's what they're going to do. They're going to represent a lot of different things. I'm going to explain it as we try to not break the glass table in the process, although that would be memorable, I would think. But uh, lots of different rocks, right? And we have... We have this, this life that kind of represents these rocks, or these rocks represent our life in, in different ways. And, but we know we've got, we've got all these different areas of our life that we live, right? So we've got, we've got family, and you know, this, this might be the biggest section of rocks for a lot of us, or for some it might be a smaller chunk of rocks. You know, we, we might not have a big family, or we might not have a lot of people in community around us, but but we've got, we've got family, and then, you know, then we've got work, and so we've got all of the things that come with work, right? It's not just a job 
There's other relationships that, that come along with work. There's the money you're working for. There's the raise you're hoping to get. You know, there's the time that you have to put in to be able to make the money. There's the effort. There's, there's the time, you know, the sleep you have to put in so that you can work with family. There's, there's all the different people, and all the different people can be a different rock. And then there's all the different events, and we're in that time of year where a lot of people are off doing a lot of events with family and all of those different things. And not all, not a, you know, a lot of these are really good things and, and lots of lots of really important things, different relationships, different, different, uh, different people and categories. And then, then there's your neighborhood, and you might have relationships in your neighborhood, or you know, all, the different, all different areas of life. And you know, then there's finances, right, and stress that comes with money. And so you've got your bills that you've got to pay, and then you've got your house that you've got to live in. Hopefully you can, you're able to eat and sleep indoors. That's the goal that a lot of us have. And so you know, there, there's, those, there's the food that you've got to buy. And so there's all these different rocks that you could use to easily represent, represent our lives and all the things that we focus on. But then there's, there's another set of rocks, right? There's, there's our, our religious rocks. The rocks that, uh, that, well, we gotta go to church, or at least a lot of us, you know, we go to church on Sundays or most Sundays, and well, we read our Bibles and we pray and, you know, and, and we listen to worship music and, and we try to, try to do Bible studies and we, we try to spend time with other Christians and, and we, watch, we watch Christian movies. We don't watch too many R-rated, you know, there's a lot of the religious thing. When I was growing up, one of the rocks would have been boycotting Disney. That was one of the rocks. We had to boycott Disney growing up. That's, I grew up in the Midwest and we boycotted Disney for a while and it had a big effect on Disney, as you can tell. <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, the, you know, there's all, and then there's the, and and the rocks they kind of get more convoluted over time, you know. So there's all the different things that get added to the religious set of rocks, and 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 it, and it can become a big a big pile of rocks. And and if we're not careful, we can pass these rocks that though they had meaning for a really specific moment in, in our journey or in maybe our collective journey as a community of, of, of believers here at the body of Christ, we could, we could easily create rocks for all of these different things, these different rituals, these different uh, aspects of how we're, how we're choosing to, in this day and age, live out our faith. But we can take these rocks then and, and pass them down to, to the next generation who has their own set of rocks. Ooh, that was awful. Um, and so they've got, and, but then, you know, we, we, we have to combine their set of rocks with our set of rocks. And, and then over time, you know, they have, they have their own kids. And so then there's that set of rocks and they're going to come up with their own set of rocks and all the things that they're doing. And there's hair in there, but that's not part of the illustration. And, um, you know, it just, you could see how over time it could really become something that is just impossible to carry out, right? There's, there's, there's just no way after generation and generation of rocks and adding to the rocks that, it, that you could really possibly, feasibly live out all of these things. And it just becomes a burden, right? It becomes a weight that's impossible to carry. And, and that's exactly what we're looking at with, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is that, is that the, the, I'm gonna use this rock to, to illustrate Jesus. I know it says six, eight on it. Don't think that I'm saying that you know, we're, we're Jesus. That's not what I mean, although we are trying to be made in the image of Christ and live out what Christ has commanded us. But, but if we're not careful, then you know, we take this, the God rock, and we bury it, 
in, in the religious rocks, and, and before we know it, we know it's there somewhere. We know that it exists in all the chaos of all the religious rules and all the family rules and all the relationship rules and all the things that we've got going on with work and all that that demands of us and all of the recreation that we have to do on, to recover from all of the work that we did all week long and all summer long and all winter long. And, and it kind of becomes a, a big mess, right? Where, where now, now we know that, that, that God is there somewhere in it. But if you asked me where he was, I wouldn't really know. Right? I, he's there somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure where, I mean, I, I mean, he's down in there. But I think this is, this is very, very possible with what could be happening for us and maybe a good understanding of what was happening in Jesus' day is that, that they had the Sabbath and that the Sabbath had all of these rules that had accumulated over years and years and years of trying to live out the Sabbath, where the Sabbath started out pretty simply, and it was pretty understandable what the Sabbath was, over, over hundreds and hundreds of years, it had become this huge burden of rituals that had to be carried out. And that's where we find Jesus now in this story in Luke chapter 6 verse six through 11, and Jim shared a lot about the Sabbath, so hopefully you have a good understanding of the Sabbath from what Jim shared last week, and we can't possibly cover all of the teaching of the Sabbath throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot there, but hopefully we can get even a little uh, more understanding than what Jim shared last week. Luke six, verse six, on another Sabbath, so not the same Sabbath, but on another Sabbath, is what Jim was talking about last week, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now a man was there whose right hand was withered. The experts in the law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a reason to accuse him. But as we've already seen from Jesus, Jesus does not need you to speak to know what you're thinking. He can know what's in your heart. So he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, get up and stand here. So he rose and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man did so and his hand was restored. But they were filled with mindless rage and began debating with one another what they would do to Jesus. Such an interesting contrast here, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the end of this, this story where Luke is sharing is, is pretty, pretty stark when you think about the event that has taken place. And so we really have to dig in a little bit to figure out, okay, so, so Jesus comes into a synagogue and he's teaching and the experts in the law and the Pharisees are there and they're trying to catch Jesus doing something he's not supposed to be doing. And in the end, the result is they're filled with mindless rage and began debating with one another what they would do to Jesus. When was the last time you came to church and were filled with mindless rage? Hopefully, it's been a long time. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't this church. But if it was, you can talk to me afterwards and we'll try to work it out. But 
They were filled with mindless rage and they began debating with one another what they would do with Jesus. Jesus came and taught. It was customary for Jesus to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. That was what he did. That was his custom. That's what we learn throughout the Gospels. And it was also customary to invite traveling teachers in to teach in your synagogue if they were in the area. And so he comes in and and teaches. And as he comes in, there's probably a man there who had heard about Jesus who had heard the stories of Jesus and all the work that he had done. And so this man had probably seen Jesus come in and maybe probably saw the crowd that gathered around him and figured out that this is Jesus that he had heard about. And so he probably goes and makes his appeal to Jesus as he enters in, please heal me, you see my condition. We don't know all the ins and outs of the story, but that's probably what took place. The experts in the law and the Pharisees, they're all gathered there, they're all witnessing what is going on and they're gonna wait and see what's happening. Luke, by the way, is the only one that mentions that it was his right hand. Matthew and Mark don't mention anything about which hand it was, but Luke mentions that it's the right hand. I don't know that there's a whole lot of significance we could draw from that, although I will tell you the right hand is significant in scripture, it does carry a lot. Of, of meaning, it's used in the Old Testament. It was the right hand that was used for blessing, for passing on a blessing. It was the right hand that represents authority in scripture. It's the right hand that represents strength in scripture. And it's the right hand that represents sovereignty in scripture. So there could be a connection that, that uh, Luke is wanting to make by mentioning the right hand, although it's not explicit in the text. But, but we see that, that it's, it's at the right hand of the Father where Jesus is going to sit. And it's at the right hand where, where uh, John and James want to sit, they want to sit at the right and left of Jesus because that's the position of authority, the position of power is at the right hand. So, so it is the right hand that, that Jesus is going to heal. But the experts in the law and the Pharisees, they're watching closely to see if Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath. Which brings up some questions to me. What is the point of the Sabbath? What was the purpose of the Sabbath? Well, if we look at Isaiah and how he explained the Sabbath, we we get that it's supposed to be a delight and a joy. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 and 14 says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. So the Sabbath, when we, when we live it out as God laid it out, was something that's supposed to bring us great joy and delight. That it leads us to, as we've talked about with the whole law, it's supposed to lead us to and point us to God. That it's not supposed to become a God in and of itself, but that it's something that's designed to draw us and point us to God. And so that's what Isaiah is saying. If, if we do the Sabbath as we're supposed to do the Sabbath for the right reasons, that, that it will cause us to find joy in the Lord or delight in God's holiness. And in fact, the, the joyous nature of the Sabbath can be seen in the Jewish tradition of eating richly on the Sabbath, which we can get from our understanding of all the festivals of the Lord, that, that when you were having a festival, you were prohibited from fasting. And on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to fast. You were supposed to partake. 
and the meals that were offered. You, were, you weren't supposed to spend a lot of time making food, but, you, but fasting was something that was prohibited, at least for the festivals, and I might be mixing things up, so forgive me if I got all that out of, out of order. Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to go read it and fix me, correct me, you can do that. But the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of joy, but somehow it had become a burden. How does something that's supposed to bring us joy or lead us to joy become a burden? Well, you have, you have 39 kind of different areas of things that you're supposed to do and not do or things you're supposed to avoid that, that you're not supposed to partake in or different, there's a whole list of 39 things. That, but then over the course of years, they had added to it all of the little details that, that go along with that. So over, over, over the course of, of generations, it had become a burden. And the Pharisees were the, the policemen of the law. They were, their responsibility, their, their reason for existence was to try to catch people breaking the law. That's what they were doing with Jesus. They wanted to catch Jesus breaking the law. But here's this thing that was supposed to be a joy and it had become a burden. But isn't it interesting that you could be, you could be watching Jesus and be consumed with something other than seeing Jesus? Isn't it interesting that, that you could be you could be following, literally, literally following the Messiah around, and yet you could be in the crowd consumed with something other than seeing Jesus, consumed with something other than seeing the Messiah. Now, as far as I can tell, as from my study, healing wasn't something that was prohibited on the Sabbath. I could be wrong about that, and if I'm wrong, I'd be happy for you to correct me. But from my study, I don't, I don't see where, where healing was prohibited on the Sabbath. Was Jim, is there, can you think of anything where there would be a prohibition of healing on the Sabbath? Right. So, so healing isn't something that's strictly prohibited on the Sabbath. It's not a you cannot do this thing as, as there are others. There are, there are other things that are strictly laid out that you're not supposed to do. But healing wasn't one of those things. Now this story is told in a couple of different places. It's told in Mark chapter two and in Matthew chapter 12. And there are some things that I want to draw in from those others that aren't in this telling that, that might help give us a little more understanding of what takes place in this event. Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's in this account of these two stories put together here that we're talking about last week and this week. And the reason that the Sabbath was made for man is because we as human beings need to rest. Right? We, we should still rest today. We should still take time to rest today. We are not able to continue to work and work and work and work and work without resting. It affects us. And there, there's actually studies that, that, that will back this up that science has proven we need periods of rest. So, so God did something for us that was for our benefit but what the Pharisees had done, what, what had happened was that, that we became under the, the rule of the Sabbath. 
So Sabbath was made for us, but then what had happened was that it looked like we were made for the Sabbath. We were essentially worshiping the Sabbath. And these things that were for our benefit and for our joy had been convoluted into religion and law. They had become essentially a burden. They had become something that that weighted people down instead of enabling them or setting them free to experience the joy of the Lord. They were now burdened by religion. I think it's important that maybe we stop and ask ourselves a question this morning. Are, Are we in the same danger? Are are there things that that in our Christianity, in our walk with God, that that we've turned into religious duties that we we have to do, we have to perform these religious functions, and and they become the most important thing? I'll give you an example from my childhood. Uh, We were talking about this last week. Um, We taught, uh, Sunday in the Midwest in particular was, was a day where you didn't do anything, right? So you went to church, and, and, uh, and I guess kind of like the Bible, you know, pastors had to work on the Sabbath or on Sunday. As we we kind of treated Sunday as our Sabbath, but, but everyone else was supposed to not work. You weren't supposed to work, and you weren't supposed to do anything that made someone else work, right? So you weren't supposed to stop and get gas on a Sunday because that would make someone else have to be at the store to have the gas station over this before credit cards, and so you had to go in and pay, you know, that kind of thing. So in the Midwest, where I was from, a lot of stores were closed on Sundays. They just weren't open for business on Sunday, and that's part of the, the cultural tradition. But, but over time, it kind of became a burden where I, when I was a kid, I was asking, why are we doing these things? Like, why can't you buy something on Sunday? What is, does the Bible say you're not allowed to buy something on Sunday? And then when you ask those questions, well, no, the Bible doesn't say it. And so, uh, you know, I remember I got in trouble one Sunday afternoon. Um, it, was, it was a Sunday, and you're not supposed to buy anything on Sundays. And uh, we had the ice cream truck that would come through our neighborhood. You know, we still have ice cream trucks today. Well, back in the day, it was a little bit more reasonable, right? You didn't pay $5.25 for a bomb pop back then. It was like 50 or 75 cents. And our ice cream truck would come through, and they'd blast the uh, Chipmunks music, right? Those was the Chipmunks music they were always playing, so that was their, their, uh, their trademark sound. And they came through, and on our street, we had a turnaround at the end of the street, so they'd come through, you'd hear the music, and you would rush to go into your room and get your change together. And it was a particularly hot summer day, and so I rushed into my room because I wanted to buy something from the ice cream truck, and my dad said, hey, what are you doing? So I, I want to run out and I want to, get, I want to get a popsicle from the ice cream truck. We had, we had ice cream in the freezer, but I want, you know, this was the better, this was a bomb pop, right? You know what I'm talking about? The bomb pops, those are the good things that you don't have. And at least we didn't have them in our home freezer. We had Schwann's ice cream. We couldn't afford anything, but apparently we could afford Schwann's. So um, we had Schwann's ice cream, but so I wanted a bomb pop, and my dad said no. Well... I wanted, I wanted a bomb pop. So when my dad wasn't paying attention, I snuck out the door, and the truck had already gone down the street, so I had to chase the truck down the street, and I took my change, and I bought the bomb pop, and then ate the bomb pop before I got back into the house. And my dad, of course, when I get back into the house, is that, what were you doing? Did you buy, did you buy a popsicle from the ice cream truck? Yeah. Well, why? I, I wanted it. <laughs> but we don't do that on Sundays, right? We don't, we don't buy things on Sundays. And, you know, well, so, you know, I, I'm sure I got in trouble for disobeying my dad, but, but I still remember the, the wrestling 
with, why can't I buy a popsicle on a Sunday? It doesn't make any sense to me. Now then, of course, over the next few years, you know, culture would change. And in the Midwest, this changed where we live too, where, where when we used to not buy things on Sundays, now we would stop on Sunday morning and get gas on the way to church. And as a teenager, you, know, you kind of observe these things and you wonder, what is going on? Why, like, why are we changing? And we would order pizza once in a while on, on a Sunday night after church, or, or we would stop and buy things at the store when we were on the way home. And something had changed, something had shifted. And and at first, you know, part of me, what, what I think is, well, we just probably came to our senses. It's not that, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't buy things on Sunday. We had just kind of created this mindless rule that became a burden that affected lots, you know, if not millions and millions of people, but we maybe understood that buying something on a Sunday isn't really a sin in and of itself. But maybe where that, where that led has caused some problems for us in our culture that We've abandoned a lot of the things that, that we used to, uh, that used to ground us, and now we've lost some of that footing that we used to have. But I'm not going to get into that this morning. It's a different sermon. See, if we're not careful, we can make things like not buying something on, on Sunday a burden and pass it down to generation after generation, and it becomes a mindless burden that we have to carry, not knowing why. We should read our Bibles, by the way. We, we should read Scripture, but, but are we reading it because it's a religious burden, it's a religious duty we have to do? We should pray. That is something that we should do, but, but are we praying because it's this religious activity we have to do, or is it because we want to communicate with our Creator? Right? We, we should be at church on Sundays. We should be in, in fellowship and community, but are we doing it because that is the, the reason we do it is because we just have to do it. That's what you do on Sunday. Or is it because we understand that when we gather together with other believers, we're in the presence of God, that, that we are the body of Christ coming together, and this is our one opportunity to gather together in unity with other believers and offer up our praise and worship to our Maker. Why are we doing these things? Are, are we in the same danger that the Pharisees had passed on this burden? Are we, are we just doing it because it's a burden, or are we doing it for the joy of knowing the Lord. Matthew chapter 12 is the same set of stories. I want to read that and uh, we'll start to wrap things up. This is the whole set of stories. So what Jim shared last week and what we read today. Matthew 12 verse 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill, kill Jesus. It's easy, and if, if not easy, it's tempting to get lured into the, the religious duties, like the religious acts that we're supposed to do as Christians, right? There, there are things that, that you're just supposed to do as Christians, and, and their duties that we're supposed to perform on a, on a day-in or week-in, week-out basis. But, but there's a problem when the duty supersedes mercy, we are in danger of missing Jesus altogether. When the duty supersedes mercy, we become in danger of missing Jesus altogether. And maybe that is where the Pharisees were, right? They, they, they were caught up in the duty, and the duty had superseded their mercy, where, where what they should have seen was, was this person who had the ability to heal, to come in and heal this man's hand. They should have been consumed with the mercy to help this man, and instead they were consumed with religious duty. They should have been consumed with the fact that, that this man could get a life back, right? He could get his right hand back. He would no longer be suffering, and he'd be able to provide for his family. His hand would be restored, but instead they were consumed with trying to catch Jesus. Right before their eyes, they saw the man's hand unshrivel, but their response was not gratitude. What was their response? They were filled with mindless rage and began debating with one another what they would do to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the situation, the scenario, right? I mean, this guy, he's got the shriveled up hand, and, and who knows how long he's handed. Probably his whole life he's had a shriveled up hand, and, and he's here, and he's begging to be healed. Everyone probably knows he wants to be healed. Jesus comes in with the ability to heal. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. His hand stretches out, and he stretches out, and both hands are just, just as strong as the other. And the response, which I would think if that happened when we were gathered here together, would be, wow, isn't that amazing? God healed his hand. But the response of the Pharisees was mindless rage. What gets you to a point where you can see mercy, see acts of mercy, and be filled with mindless rage? How do we get there as people? How do we get to that point as, as Christians, as, as people made in the image of God, and, and we see other people made in the image of God, and, and, and we should be filled with mercy, right? That's what, that's what Jesus said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We, we should be filled with mercy for people, and instead, sometimes we get filled with rage. How do we get there? How do you get to the point that, that you have someone in your midst that's able to heal diseases, that's able to, to heal the lame and make, the, make them walk and make the blind see and, and someone whose hand is shriveled, you, they can heal it. And, 
what you're trying to do is to trap him, to catch him, to catch him breaking the law so that you have a reason to execute him. In fact, Jesus' handling and what Jesus did on the Sabbath would be one of the two reasons that would be used for executing him. Claimed to be God and he didn't honor the Sabbath. They did use this as a trap. They did use this as a reason to execute the Messiah. How do you get to that point? They, you just, the only explanation I have is, is generation after generation of mindless religious duties. Generation after generation of, of just passing down rituals and adding things and doing things that don't really have any meaning, that don't really have anything that, that's, that's significant in and of themselves. They, they were good maybe when they were instituted because they helped us focus on God for a period of time or, or to, to, to th think less about ourselves or think less about what we want in this life. And, but but we just, maybe it just became so much after so long that you just can't see what you're supposed to see through it anymore. Are we in danger of that? Maybe we're not in danger of that with, with religious duties, but maybe we're in danger with that with, with the worries of this world, with, with the stresses of this life, that, that, our, that our families and, and our, our things that we have to do with our families and all the recreation and all the fun and all of the work that we do to be able to afford all of the recreation and, and all of the things we do with our friends and, and all of the parties and you know, other things that we have and obligations we have for, for birthday parties and anniversary parties and, and all of these things, which aren't bad things. They're, they're, not, they're not things that, that we shouldn't do, but, but they become, they kind of maybe become so many of them so, so important that, that, that we can't really find the rock anymore, right? I mean, the, the, the one most important thing that all of these things in life are supposed to point us to our need for a, cre our need for a savior and the our creator that made us, our family is supposed to point us to our creator, nature and, and creation. So when we're out camping, all of these things are supposed to point us to our creator. Our work is supposed to remind us that we were created to work in the very beginning and that God designed us to work and all of the family and all of the traditions and all of the fellowship, all of these things have in them the, the desire to point us to our creator and yet by themselves they have nothing to sustain us but have we started worshiping all of these things above the one rock that we're supposed to build our lives on? See, I'd say in our culture, we're probably not in danger of religious duty overtaking our lives, but I would say that we're pretty far down the road burying Jesus and all the other stuff. And you don't notice it because you just add a thing here and there. But over time, these things add up and you can't find the most important thing buried within. 
Same thing was true with the law. It was given for good. It was a good thing. It was supposed to point us to God, but it had become a burden. But if that law causes us to neglect humankind, we talked about this, how, how, the, how on the Sabbath day there's an exception, right? Remember that there's the exception on the Sabbath day when human life is at stake. You're supposed to put everything behind and you can break the whole law. You can break the whole religious code you're living to go save that human life, to do what's good for a human life. That, that should have trumped everyone's thinking. But they didn't see it because they couldn't see that Jesus was the perfect embodiment of the law. Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 says this. It says, therefore, Paul is talking, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul's saying, don't let anyone judge you because of what you eat or drink. There are a lot of things you weren't supposed to eat or drink according to the Old Testament, to the Old Covenant. He's saying, don't let anyone judge you with regard to the religious festivals, whether or not you go to them. That's not the point. The new moon celebration or Sabbath day. Don't let anyone judge you on, based on, on what you do on a Sabbath. These things were not the point. They were a shadow pointing to the one who was to come, and that is Jesus Christ. See, the point is not in the duty, the point is in the deity. The point is not in what we're doing, the point is in who we are pursuing. We should not miss the deity of Christ because of the duty of Christianity. We should not miss the deity of Christ because of the duty of living out this life. Are we in danger of missing out on the deity of Christ, seeing the Messiah before our very eyes and missing it entirely because we're consumed with too many things? Are we in danger of missing Jesus because we've replaced him with other things? I think we have to ask ourselves a question this morning. Are there too many important things in our lives that we no longer have time for the most important thing? Are there just too many good things that we've got going on that we've added here and there. That we no longer have time for the most important thing. I think we need to be careful because we might find ourselves looking at Jesus in the same way. We might find ourselves looking at the one who came as the perfect embodiment of the law and trying to find a way to trap him because he's starting to call into question some of these things that we think are more important than he is. We might find ourselves trying to trap Jesus too, to catch Jesus' words and say, well, Jesus, must, Jesus couldn't have really meant that because this thing is so important to me. Jesus couldn't have really meant that because this thing is just so important to me and if, and, if, and if he really loved me, he would just let me have this thing or do this thing or be this thing or think this way. And we start to miss the point is that all of these things are supposed to point us to Christ.
supposed to point us to Jesus. We're supposed to look to Christ because we've seen these things. Both the good and the bad. The good should point us to the goodness of God and the bad should point us to our need for God. Are we in danger of trapping Jesus and dismissing Jesus because of the of things we've consumed. Would you pray with me? God, you are a good and gracious God. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, to die for a people whose hearts were for themselves. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to to remind us the image that you had in mind for us from the beginning. Father, for, for all of us, those things in our lives that that we've put ahead of you, I pray, Father, that you would bring those to our minds right now in this moment. I pray, Father, that you would bring them to the forefront of our mind. Anything that is there that is taking your place, I pray, Father, that you would show that to us, reveal that to us right now, and help us to to see it in the right perspective. Maybe it's something you want us to get rid of altogether, but maybe it's just something that you want us to see and the right perspective, that we're not seeing it how you want us to see it. Help us to see it with your eyes. To stop putting that thing up on a pedestal and worshiping that thing, but to to put you up on the pedestal and worship you. That we would not be in danger of what the prophet Jeremiah said, that, that we would be paying our allegiance to worthless idols and become worthless ourselves. Father, for the areas of our lives where we have done that, I ask that you forgive us. I thank you for your grace, your amazing, abundant, unending grace that covers those sins, that we don't have to sit here this morning wallowing in our guilt, that you offer us grace. You offer us grace for those things that you want us to be restored into relationship, into right relationship with you right now in this moment, in this morning, that you want to make things right, that, that there is grace to cover those things, and that you see us now through the eyes of Christ, through the righteousness of Christ, through the perfect work of Christ, the perfect embodiment of the law that is Jesus. I thank you that you see us that way. Father, if we have worshiped these things and tried to remake ourselves in the image of these things that are not of you, I pray, Father, that you would reveal those to us and help us to see the one that we are supposed to be made in the image of. Help us to see the one that is Christ. Help us to see the Messiah and to see Christ and to worship the one and only living God, the one and only Messiah who came, walked on this earth, died for our sins, resurrected from the dead, and lives in a constant victorious state at the right hand of the Father. Help us to worship that, that we, as we worship 
the one living true God, as we worship the Messiah, we might become more like the Messiah, that, that our hearts would not be for the things of this life, our hearts would not be for the religious duties of this world, that our hearts would not be consumed with what we're trying to get and what we're trying to achieve, but that our hearts would be consumed with getting more of Christ and knowing more of Christ and worshiping more of Christ each and every day. And as we have more of Christ, we see in perspective everything in life, how you wanted it to be from the beginning. Father, remake the image of Christ in us day in and day out. Remake us today in the image of Christ that we might reflect that image to a broken, dying world. And that as we leave this place here in a few minutes, that we would go out and that people would see Christ in us, that they would see we have been remade in the image of Christ and they would be drawn to Christ in us and that they would be drawn to you through the light in our lives. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Help us to see you how you want us